My mom's signature recipe was her sauce. A third-generation Italian, she'd learned very early in life how to make my great-grandmother Nanny's classic bolognese recipe. Every Sunday of my childhood was designated Sauce Day, a multi-hour event that kicked off mid-morning, complete with the rituals of stirring and tasting, never measuring, trusting your wooden spoon to let you know when there was enough of an ingredient and when this rich meat sauce was done and ready to be paired with pasta. Welcome to My Family Recipe, presented by Food52 and Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Arthi Menon. I'm also the lead editor of the original essay series on Food52. Thank you so much for joining us on this episode and on the podcast so far as we explore some much-loved heirloom recipes and the delicious stories behind them. Joelle Zarconi is a writer whose Italian heritage shaped the flavors of her childhood. Earlier this year, Food52 published her essay, Grief with a Side of Baked Zizi. It's about how, after unexpectedly losing her mother to illness, Joelle uses a beloved recipe to connect the past to the present and negotiate her future. Hi, Joelle. Thank you so much for joining us. Hi, thank you for having me. I'd love to start by asking you a little bit about how your Italian heritage shaped your both your childhood and your palate. Oh gosh. Well, I <laughs> I I feel like it was so central to the way that I grew up from the time I was really little. I mean, my first memories are, you know, being at my great grandmother's house, having Italian food, like having these <laughs> extravagant meals for holidays and just our Italian food was just food that like that was just what I grew up on. I didn't even realize that there were other things really until I went to college to be honest. And it there was such a passion for food and for creating food for other people that I grew up just kind of inheriting that and it just sort of seeped into my personality like I've just loved food since I was a kid and I have to believe it's because of my heritage and constantly growing up around people that wanted to feed you. Tell us a little bit about what the kitchen of your childhood looked and smelt and felt like. Do you have memories of cooking with your mom alongside your grandmom? <laughs> there was always something on the stove or something going into the oven and it I just remember the kitchen always being kind of loud, like it was always the gathering spot. Like I I don't know if that's what it's like for other families, but for us it was the kitchen was where everybody hung out. And so we I would always hang out at the kitchen table, like that's where I would do my homework, you know, and I would sit there while my mom was um preparing for our dinner and on the weekends, like that's where we would we would sit around and after breakfast and just spend time. So I feel like I was always in the kitchen. That was like the heart of the house. I agree. I always say it's the beating heart of the house. I mean, who needs a living room or dining room yeah. when you can live <laughs> in a kitchen? Exactly. So in the essay, you write about how when you went off to college, your mother would always make sure that you were well stocked on her famous sauce. And I'm <laughs> going to quote from your essay. From her perspective, this was non-negotiable. 
It was her responsibility to make sure I always had some on hand, just in case I got homesick. This sauce was such an important tie for you to your home, to your mother. What did these sauce deliveries mean to you? And I'd also love to know what your favorite ways of using it were in college. To explain, I should probably back up a little bit with Italian families, or at least my my family. Sunday was always the day that you made sauce and that you had pasta or something with sauce. So it was like a tradition that I was just used to that like every Sunday was sauce day, no matter what. So it was kind of, you know, integrated into my life and my routine very early on. And so by the time that I got to college, I I think my mom was worried that I would, you know, forget what it tasted like or that I would be just so homesick without having that home cooked food because she, you know, made us meals every single day from scratch. And so when she would start to bring me the sauce, I would, she would usually bring, you know, all of these containers and then we'd put them straight into the freezer usually. And because the, the sauce recipe makes such a large batch. And so I would usually save it and then, you know, I would defrost a container a week or something And then I would have it with pasta, you know, every night for dinner, or I would use it with like chicken Parmesan or, you know, the best a college student can do, I guess, with chicken Parmesan and that sort of thing. And it, it's kind of funny because it, it became like a, a thing that like I was known for, that my mom was known for amongst my friends. Like they would always be excited and like try to come over to make sure that they got sauce when they, (laughs) when they knew that she had like recently dropped off. A, a stash. Yeah, you're like, is it me or is it the sauce? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. It was definitely the sauce. <laughs> I have friends still, and I, I graduated college many years ago, and I still have friends who um, reach out to me and like, you know, I really miss having that sauce. Or are you going to give me that recipe? <laughs> and this wonderful tradition sort of continued into your adult life. I, I know, you know, when I know you mentioned that whenever you'd visit home, your mom would make you a big batch of sauce as her way of showing you how happy she was that you were home. And when you moved across the country, obviously that those sauce deliveries became a little more challenging, but she would arrive at your doorstep with that trusty wooden spoon and her paraphernalia and get to work. She was just so sure that, you know, the sauce and her cooking was just critical to you know, my life and, and, and happiness. And it was an extension, I guess, of her, of her love. And so she, it seemed felt that if she couldn't be there, like at least the sauce was there. So at least I was still getting, you know, a good meal or uh, even though I was an adult, right. So I could certainly cook for myself and figure out ways, but for her, you know, it wasn't enough. Like she needed to know that I was getting a good home cooked meal that she had, you know, poured her heart into. And you're exactly right. She, I lived on the East Coast for many years and she would drive across country um, with, or take the train with like a big suitcase so that she could fit, you know, her wooden spoon. Sometimes she would bring up like her pot, like her sauce pot that she would cook it in. Like, you know, she was really committed to making sure. And then she would make a big batch and, and again, put it in the freezer and then she would make other meals and just to make sure I had it around, even if she, you know, had to head back home. 
That's so beautiful. Last year, your mother was diagnosed with cancer. Yeah. And can you tell us how her illness changed her relationship with food and, and the food she loved to make, but also loved to share and serve? Yeah. Um, and I'm going to try really hard not to cry. So I apologize in advance <laughs> if I do. <laughs> so she um, was very unexpectedly diagnosed um, with cancer in March of 2020, right around the same time that the like all the lockdown and quarantine started with um, the pandemic. And uh, she started receiving chemo and radiation, and it really destroyed her taste buds. Like for the for the most part, she you know fared fairly well, you know, comparatively with with the the treatments in terms of you know getting sick from them. But what they did do was just destroy her ability to enjoy the food that she always loved and that she had cooked for years and years. And I know that that was something that she really had a hard time with because she couldn't, well, she didn't have the energy even to, you know, to make sauce or to make a lot of the things that she was used to. And she would you know, end up asking my dad to like make her jello, which is so different from, you know, <laughs> big CD. And I, I, I know from our conversations that it was, it was hard on her to get used to. And she, yeah, she, she eventually ended up in the, in the hospital. Um, and that, like, I still remember that like was a, a theme of our daily conversations was, you know, what did they bring her, you know, from the hospital um, cafeteria, you know, for lunch and dinner and, and, and all that. I guess food was such an integral part of her that, yes, you know, it was. And her way of, of keeping involved was by talking with you about food. Exactly. Even if she couldn't like fully enjoy it um, at that time, it was still something that was such a key part of her life. And I mean, and my life. I mean, I feel like most of our conversations were always about food and cooking and restaurants and where to buy the best tomatoes and like <laughs> that kind of thing. And sadly, in July of last year, you lost your mother. Yeah. And in the midst of the pandemic. So what was already an unbearable loss was was magnified by that. Um, and you were left with that one last container of sauce. And I I've tried to think about that many times, you know, as I as I as we went about our edits and chatted about the essay. And I've always wondered, you know, how did you know when it was time to eat it? And and can you tell us about the day or the days leading up to that decision? So I was I was putting it off because I I knew that that was, that was it. And I really wasn't sure if I was ever going to be able to have anything even close to her sauce. I wasn't sure if I was going to be able to ever make it myself. So I was kind of dreading the day and, and, it, and it kind of, I don't know, opening the freezer and seeing it in there was comforting in a way. Like it, it was almost a, a way to temporarily forget that she was gone. Cause it seemed like, Oh, she just dropped this off, you know, but it was getting around the holidays. It was in the fall. And I just, 
I just really missed her, <laughs> miss her, you know? And so I don't really know what sparked me deciding, okay, this is the time other than I, th- I was a little worried that it was going to end up going bad if I didn't eat it soon. Um, <laughs> just from a practical standpoint, but my dad was going to be visiting. And so I felt like that was like, if I was going to have it, then I should make sure that, you know, my dad could enjoy it too, because he and my mom had been married almost 40 years. And if I grew up on the food, like he certainly did too. So anyways, um, I ended up deciding to, to defrost it and use it. And we, we kind of did like a, like a sauce toast sort of before we started eating just to my mom and, and, you know, to, to thank her for leaving us with this, this like tangible reminder of her care and her love. Um, but also, you know, the memory and it just, I don't know, it felt like just a really important and special occasion, but at the same time also sad. I don't, I felt like I, I felt like I was, um, losing her again. Cause that, um, that was it. You know, that's all I, I had left. Yeah. That's a very tangible link that then is gone just like that in a very beautiful meal yeah. shared with the people that you love. Mm-hmm. We'll talk about how you went about recreating this recipe in a bit, but in some sense, Joel was the finishing off of that last tub of sauce an impetus for you to finally go ahead and feel ready to make it yourself? I think so. Um, I, <laughs> after all was said and done with that, that last container that I had, I, I felt a little bit of panic. <laughs> like I, I felt like all of a sudden, like this urgency to try and collect all of my memories of my mom's cooking of that sauce and, and like try to capture it before it was suddenly like gone from my brain as if, you know, not that that could happen, but like all of a sudden it was going to poof, you know, disappear and I'd never be able to piece it together. But this like deep love that was put into this sauce recipe that I wanted to make sure wasn't completely gone from my life, you know, like even if it wasn't my mom stirring it over the stove. Like I, it was just a, a matter of that comfort and, and having that available, you know, and, and I, and I started to think all of a sudden, like, what if I have children and they never are able to try this sauce or they don't, you know, understand what this is that I grew up on or, you know, have, are unable to have these same memories. And I, I don't know, like I said, I just started to feel kind of panicky about it. And I, Saying it out loud feels kind of irrational, I guess, but I just felt like it was it was time to to give it a shot myself. We're going to go into a very short break, but when we return, Joelle and I will actually hear from some of her readers. My name is Coral, and I produce Food 52's podcast. 
Now, Food52 believes the kitchen is the heart of the home and food is the center of a well-lived life. And if food audio is as much the center of your life as it is mine, here are a couple others from our network that I think you'd like. There is Kristen McGlory's 10-year strong genius recipes column turned interview show, The Genius Recipe Tapes. Each week you'll leave with a new recipe or technique that will completely change the way you cook. And Counter Jam, hosted by Peter J. Kim. With the help of musicians and food friends like singer-turned-sassier Khalees, podcaster-musician Rishikesh Hirway, and rapper Ruby Ibarra, Peter seeks a deeper understanding of cultures and the identities we construct through the dishes and songs we put on repeat. Or The Sandwich Universe, a show all about, you guessed it, iconic sandwiches. Hosts and longtime BFFs Molly Boz and Declan Bond partake in philosophical debate. I mean, why even is it called grilled cheese when it's not grilled? Take listener questions and dream up delicious versions for you to try at home tonight. You can find Food 52's podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen. Welcome back to My Family Recipe. Some stories have the power to touch the hearts of many. Joelle's beautiful essay put voice to the losses that so many have suffered this year, and our readers were drawn into discussion in the comments section. We've actually invited some of these readers to share their thoughts on the piece with us here on this episode. My name is Bernice Tsai, and I discovered this story on a Saturday morning about two months ago when I was searching for recipes that involved a homemade tomato sauce. I was not expecting to find a recipe and a story that would flood me with emotions the way that this one did. I read Joelle's story so slowly and carefully because I want to savor every sentence which really so perfectly expressed not just the love that can exist between mother and daughter, but also how food itself can be an expression of something tangible, sustaining, and nurturing. And I think that's um, symbolic of what every mother wants to offer her daughter, which is an abundance of love so that she feels secure and that she always has that safety net by her side. So my comment was, what a beautiful story. Thank you for sharing and reminding us of the ways that food can embody the love and care between people. This touched me greatly. Thank you so much, Bernice, for that. Joelle, this brings me back to the opening, actually, of your piece, where you talk about love languages. Your mother's love language definitely centered on food and sharing it as well as looking at it as a means of just creating quality time together. How has this shaped your own love language? Oh, oh gosh. <laughs> I think my love language is the same now. I, I feel like I just inherited this um, desire to make people happy through food and making sure that they feel um, like, you know, that they're being cared for and that they're getting enough. You know, I, when some, when my husband is upset, I, you know, I'm like, can I bake you something? Can I make you, do you want some pasta? Like, you know, that's, that's my go-to now, you know, and that it wasn't as apparent to me really until losing my mom. And then I realized quite how similar I, I am to her in that way. The next two reader comments share the theme of recreating 
a beloved recipe. Let's take a listen. Hi, my name is Leah and I read this piece earlier this year after finding it online. I'm sitting here bawling my eyes out as I read your beautiful story. I'm also of Italian heritage and lost my mum 12 years ago to cancer. I have a similar story to your pasta sauce. Terrified it would never be the same and would disappoint the family. It took time, but one day the aroma was perfect and I knew I had arrived. Thank you from Australia for your beautiful story. It made my day. Hi, my name is JJ Levenstein. So when I read the article, uh, it struck me in many ways. Um, the comment that I actually left on the site was the following. I'm in tears reading your story. How lucky you were to have such a loving, generous mom who left you with more gifts than just sauce. Please take care. This story resonated with me because I lost my own mom three years ago. She wasn't much of a cook, but she did leave me with a couple of recipes that are no fail. Her scalloped potatoes and her veal scallopini were legendary. And I, like Joelle, struggled to recreate those recipes, which were never in writing, but did give me some kind of contact with the spirit of my mom. The fact that she actually tried to make something for us that was special and memorable, and she did. Thank you, Leah, and thank you, JJ, for your for your wonderful comments, for taking the time to send those in. And now we're all in tears. Joelle, I know you struggled with um, recreating this recipe because while you knew how to take a Sunday sauce and put it together in a baked ziti, you didn't actually have any physical evidence of the sauce recipe. In fact, when you first reached out to me via email, you were concerned about ever being able to recreate it for the column and then I remember two months later, I received an email from you excitedly sharing that you had succeeded in piecing it all together. And, and truly, my heart surged when I read that. Tell us about the process of piecing this beloved recipe together. I, I really was worried that I was never going to be able to do it. I, you know, my mom had, for the most part, you know, growing up, always made the sauce for me and didn't want me to get involved with making like she wanted me to go out and play and because it's such a long process and as I had gotten older uh, like as I was an adult you know she would always say like come you know when she would come over or when I was back home visiting you know she would she would always say okay you, you have to you know stick around and, and watch as I do this so I can, so I can teach you. And it just, I don't know. I think I always kind of brushed off because I just assumed she was always going to be there to make it. I just never, um, I thought I had a lot of time to, to learn it and to, to do it with her. So I, when I, you know, set out to try and, and do this, I literally, <laughs> combed through old, old emails that I had from her text messages. Cause sometimes she would text, like if she was going to come to visit, she would text me, you know, what she needed me to pick up at the grocery store. So I would have, I had like, um, the ingredient list at least. Um, so I was able to piece that stuff together and then 
the sort of the order of things of, you know, how, how much goes into the pot and, you know, uh, the sequencing, I really had to rely on my memory and like, like snippets from what I could recall. I feel like I had anxiety even trying to, (laughs) to set out and create it because, you know, there's, I feel like there's nothing worse than, you know, setting out to, to, to do something and having this like very specific idea of what something is supposed to taste like or supposed to be like, and then being let down. And I was afraid of being discouraged and feeling, you know, even, even worse about the situation than I already did. Cause I was still very, very fresh in the grieving process. So anyways, I decided to give it a go and I just hoped for the best. Um, and I, I got surprisingly close on on the first try, which I don't I feel like that was just sheer luck and maybe my mom watching over me. <laughs> but it still wasn't quite right. And so and I, I waited and a, a couple weeks and tried again. And I finally got it. The stars aligned and it um I knew I knew from the way it smelled when it was simmering that it was it was gonna be real close, if not, you know, taste exactly the same. Cause it just, I don't know, it I remember walking, you know, back toward my kitchen and smelling it and thinking to myself that it smelled like my house growing up. Like it smelled like my mom was in there, but I knew she wasn't in there. I always think if you can get that close, you've won because Mm-hmm. Recreating a recipe, it's never, ever going to be exactly the same. And in fact, that's the beauty of it, because that's how recipes kind of live on and sort of yeah. take the memories of this person and the memories of these events and, and take them into our futures. Oh, I like that. That's I love that concept. Well, thank you, Joelle, for being so generous with sharing your memories of your beautiful mother and for joining us on this episode. Thank you. I feel like this is one of the like highest <laughs> honors I could be paying t- to my mom, you know, like the best memorial, f- you know, for her. She would be so excited to know that her recipe was printed, you know, like it's or published, I should say. Like gosh, she would have never believed it. I like I can picture her being like they want my recipe? Are you sure? <laughs> you know. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to My Family Recipe. If you've enjoyed this episode, please follow the show on your favorite podcast platform. And don't forget to share it with your family and friends. Leave us a rating and review as well to let us know what you think of the delicious recipes and and the stories behind them. Special thanks for this episode to Joelle Zarconi. You can find the link to her original essay in the show notes. My Family Recipe is produced by Dylan Hoyer and Hannah Forden. Our Julia Child Foundation Fellow is Kelly Spivey, and our audio engineer is Matt Patterson. Cora Lee is Food52 Podcast Network's producer. Our theme song is Vittoro by Aeronaut. This show is a collaboration between Food52 and Heritage Radio Network. There's so much more to read and listen to. Find even more stories at food52.com and heritageradionetwork.org. Hi, I'm Hannah Forden, Heritage Radio Network's program manager and a producer of this podcast. If you're loving My Family Recipe, I have a few other recommendations to offer from HRN. 
Everyone has a food story, and Let's Talk About Food is a podcast dedicated to sharing stories about pleasure, scarcity, overabundance, all the ways that food delights and disappoints. From our first mouthful of applesauce in front of our adoring family, to our first bite into a jalapeno pepper, and everything in between. For our fans of storytelling, this is a podcast you're going to devour. For our fans of chef interviews, Inside Julia's Kitchen will introduce you to the bright lights of today's food world. Enjoy rich conversations with Yotam Adelengi, Rodney Scott, Melissa King, and other leaders in the culinary world. HRN is an independent, member-supported, nonprofit podcast network. Listen to these podcasts wherever you're listening now, or visit heritageradionetwork.org to browse our library of 35 weekly shows and more than 15,000 archived episodes. Start exploring at heritageradionetwork.org.